Now, in this part of Scripture, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And you think, well, what's going on here? Deliberately led by the Spirit into temptation. And there's a point to be made here. At least that I discovered. And it's about how God wants to save us. His motivation and his desire and even his passion to save us. That's expressed in Proverbs 27, verse 4. It says, wrath is fierce, anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? Now, that word jealousy is also translated in parts of the Old Testament as zeal. And the idea behind this is that wrath is single-minded. No idea of leniency in here. It's boom. Anger is single-minded, unrestrained, going without limit. Zeal or jealousy in this scripture is evidently stronger than anger and fierceness. It's even more extreme. It's unstoppable. You cannot refuse it. You cannot resist it. You cannot defy jealousy and zeal. Now, what we're looking at today is that zeal of God to save us. Jesus, the servant of God, is going to defy the devil to accomplish eternal salvation. Are you interested? Okay, let's read in chapter 4. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I'll give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So here's the situation. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit who leads him into the wilderness. He's just been baptized in water by John to identify with sinful humanity, to fulfill all righteousness, and to take upon himself all the sins and punishment from that. Because 
he is the servant of God, and God has given him the Holy Spirit to lead him and empower him to enable him to save. Jesus is the servant of the Lord. So here's the Holy Spirit given to Jesus, leading him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil deliberately. Now, to tempt means to entice someone to do something that's wrong for the sake of some kind of gain. You're going to get something out of this. And so the idea is, leave your way, come this way, look what you're going to get. And it involves lying, deceiving, misrepresenting reality. You know, the devil wants us to see things his way. Why don't you just open it? Because it's the jackhammer that goes on for the next five minutes. Just do it. See, it's over. Now, the devil attacks us with these sudden impulses. And it's sort of this push to do something. And the idea is, just do it. Don't think about it. Now, this happens all the time. And the interesting thing is this idea, don't think about it. It's an unpremeditated push. And look what you'll get. In this, the devil wants to be the prime motivator, not God. In the beginning, he attacked Adam and Eve in this way with lies and deception. And he came to Eve and said, so you're not supposed to eat of any of the trees of the garden? And Eve responded with the word of God, no, we can eat of every tree, just not that one. Because God has said, if we eat it or touch it in the day, we'll die. That's the word of God. Now the devil just comes right back with a lie. You're not going to die. God knows in the day that you eat of it, you're going to be like him. Your eyes will be opened. You'll understand good and evil. And it says that when Eve saw that the fruit was good and it was desirable to make one wise, she took and ate it. Now, you know what? She left the word of God and began to see things from the devil's perspective. And from his perspective, it made sense. Look what you're going to get. Okay. Don't think. Just do it. Now, when she and Adam sinned against God, they lost their lives. They lost everything. They lost their relationship with God. They died spiritually. And like the devil said here, everything is mine. They forfeited everything that God gave them to the devil. So that Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says, the devil is the God of this world. He is of the spirits of disobedience that control this whole existence. So we inherited slavery to sin, slavery to disobedience, and death. Now, Jesus has just identified with mankind or humanity. And the point is to save them, all of us, out of the domain of darkness and bring us to his kingdom. And this is the next step. Let the devil 
do his best to swerve Jesus, the servant of God, from his obedience to the Father. Is there anything that can change Jesus' mind? Make him do something that is against the will of the Father? For some kind of personal gain? You can see that this is a conflict. This is a battle. And it is life and death. Because Jesus is sinless. He has this perfect relationship with the Father. But as soon as he seeks his own way, ignoring the Father, it will blow up his relationship with God. He's not going to be a perfect sacrifice. There will be no atonement for sin, no reconciliation with God possible. There is no perfect sacrifice. And he is going to be lost forever if he swerves from this obedience and submission to God. This is what's at stake here. This is life and death. Now, Jesus does not eat for 40 days. And this is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Deliberately tells him, don't eat. And I assume that means to fast and pray. I cannot imagine the Holy Spirit saying, don't eat and don't pray. So it's, it doesn't say that in the text, but I'm assuming that the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus to deny himself and to maintain his relationship with the Father through prayer. This is how you face the devil, is that you pursue and maintain that relationship with God. And then the devil tempts Jesus to provide for himself. That's the first temptation that we read about here. Realize that for 40 days, the devil has been working on Jesus. 40 days of have at him. Anything you want. Anything you can think of. Anything to swerve Jesus 24 hours a day. This is only the first one we read about, and it's really around day 40. Because he became hungry, Jesus did. And see, when you start to fast, then you get those hunger pangs, and it's really uncomfortable. But if you kind of wait it out, that subsides, and you actually feel pretty good. You feel clearer mentally. And people have noticed this. You fast, your head gets clear, you're sharp. It's really interesting. That's why it's a good mix with prayer because you keep your mind clear and focused. But your body can only go about 40 days without food. And after that, your body has begun to digest itself. You'll burn your fat reserves, which builds up toxins in your blood. At this point, though I've never been there, I've read up on it, and the overwhelming thought in your brain is food. Your body is telling you, get food. I don't care where, just get it. It's all you can think about. Now, Jesus is perfect. He's not sinful like you and me. 
So I don't know what he's thinking about, but definitely he feels hungry and he knows he is on the edge of death. And his body is checking in and saying, we need to eat. And the devil shows up and says, if you're the son of God, you can talk to the stone and it becomes bread. Now, he's not doubting that Jesus is the son of God. Some people feel like the father has just said in the baptism, this is my beloved son. And maybe Jesus is going through a time of doubt. Well, if you are this, maybe you're the son of God. Maybe you're not. But that's not what this is talking about here because it's a certain uh, form in the Greek language which is called a condition of the first class. That is, it means if and it's true. And you could just as easily translate it, since you are the Son of God. So the devil is saying, you got the power, you are who you are, easiest thing in the world, just talk to the rock. Don't think, just do it. So why doesn't Jesus do it? Because he responds with the will of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I'm going to read the context to you. Here's what it says. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you were to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. That's the context that Jesus just draws out this one line. But the whole idea here is that you live in the presence of God with understanding, and you remember that he humbles you to depend upon him and obey him. God disciplines you as a man disciplines his son. And what Moses is emphasizing is this is the love of God. That's why a father disciplines his son, because he hates him? No. Because he wants him to grow up right. And he loves him. So, because he loves you, walk in his ways and fear him. Life is more than clothing. Life is more than food. Remember Jesus saying that in the Sermon on the Mount? These are the principles that he lives by. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So food and clothing are not the big things. But what God wants, that is everything. And see, Jesus thought on that, remembered that, as the scripture says to do. And he understood that. He's the one who said, 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, Jesus believes that doing God's will means eternal life. So what if he fulfills the will of God, which so far has been don't eat? What if he dies doing that? What if fulfilling the will of God leads to him dying? See, the devil wants to say, well, you're no good to God, Dad. So why don't you keep yourself alive till he checks in? Maybe he forgot you. Maybe he's out there juggling galaxies. And while he's doing that, he sort of forgot you. Well, why don't you just keep yourself alive while you're waiting for him? See, we would think that, wouldn't we? But see, ultimately, in fulfilling the will of God, Jesus will die deliberately after being whipped, beaten, mocked. And it looks like he's forsaken of God. See, he is going to lose his life doing the will of God. Now, what if he loses his life right here, obeying God? He lives because he's still in fellowship with God. Worst case scenario, God's got to raise me from the dead. Because it's not right that I stay dead. I'm in fellowship with him. I'm in perfect relationship with him. If I die doing his will, I live. What? If I disobey him to save my life, I stay alive physically and I'm dead spiritually. So he says, no, I'd rather die doing the will of God. My own personal health and well-being are not relevant But fulfilling the will of God is everything. And that's why Jesus says no. He says yes to God. That's what he's really doing. But in so saying yes, whatever you want, to God, he has to say no to the devil. So then, Jesus is tempted to glorify himself. That is, in verse 5, the devil takes him up on a high mountain. In Matthew chapter 4, it says it was an exceedingly high mountain. So just the view right there is overwhelming and panoramic. I don't think I've ever been on a high enough mountain to be able to explain what that would be like, but just imagine, you're on the top, you're the highest point. Everything else from you is down. Kind of like being God. Everything else is stretched out below you. And in this panorama, the devil just, in an instant of time, you get to see all the wonders of the civilizations around you, all the kingdoms of the world. All the architecture, the monuments, the armies, the glory, the power. And before that flashes over, then he slips in this. You know what? I can give it to anybody I want. I'll give it to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Don't think. Just do it. Just do it. And here's Jesus saying, get behind me. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. You see, that's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Deuteronomy chapter 6 has the great confession 
of who God is. I'm going to read that in context. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat, and you're satisfied, then watch yourself, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery." You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the people who surround you, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. Now see, Jesus is obeying these words. These words are on his heart constantly. And he loves the Lord his God with all his heart. There is one God to worship, therefore my glory is not relevant. So when the devil says, Glorify yourself. You can do it right now. I'll do it for you. Don't think. Just do it. Jesus says, I do not seek my own glory, but the glory of the one who sent me. He really believes that. God's glory is the only glory that matters. Now, the next thing the devil does is tempt Jesus to test the Father. And he brings Jesus to the highest part of the temple and says, Since you're the Son of God, why don't you throw yourself off and let the angels catch you? Because the Father promised he would take care of you. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it crazy the devil knows the Bible? He knows Scripture better than we do. And he also knows that that Scripture in Psalm 91 was written for Jesus. He says, it's yours. This is your right. And you can do this. So why don't you do this? Do it. Don't think. Do it. Now, the crazy part about this is the devil leaves out part of the scripture. And what he leaves out is, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, the devil leaves that out. Gee, what could he be thinking My thought is, he doesn't want to remind Jesus about his ways. Don't think about your ways. And see, the incredible value of the Bible is it makes you think. There's no other book like this. If you read the Bible, it'll set you to thinking. Now, you know, Jesus has already thought about his ways and how he lives his life because his ways are God's ways. 
And it says in Psalm 25, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And that loving kindness is that Hebrew word chesed. And it talks about strong, committed, faithful, covenant love. The relationship is founded upon faithfulness. It will not change. And you protect that relationship. You nurture your relationships. You don't blow them up. That's not what they're there for. You commit to another person to preserve that relationship. That's valuable. And you don't test God to see if he lives up to what you expect out of him. You see, it is appropriate for God to put his creation to the test because he is the judge. But it's not appropriate for the creation to put God to the test and see, well, does he serve my purposes? That's arrogant. And that's obnoxious. And see, what Jesus is thinking about, we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. And see, in that particular situation, Israel complained about God not giving them meat. Now, God saved Israel out of Egypt from slavery with ten plagues that destroyed Egypt. And he made the the Egyptians kick Israel out of Egypt with power. Then God deliberately made the armies of Egypt come out and chase them so he could split the Red Sea and make Israel pass through on dry land. And when the Egyptians followed them, he drowned them. Then he fed Israel manna from heaven, delivered right to their doorstep every morning. And Israel complained against God and said, why doesn't he give us meat? Is God among us or not? Is that not obnoxious and arrogant? What do you mean, is God among us or not? But they're walking around like, They've been ripped off and treated badly by God, like we don't have meat. Is God among us or not? Right over the tent of meeting, there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Is God among us or not? I don't see the stake. You know, when God does get angry, it's, it's with good reason. This is offensive and obnoxious, and you just don't treat God like this. And Jesus has thought about this very issue. Don't do this. So when the devil tries to prod Jesus into blowing up his relationship with God and seeing if God meets his needs or not, Jesus just looks at him and says, no, you never do that. And see, that's Jesus' way. Because he is the servant of the Lord prophesied in Isaiah 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And God delights in him because his servant delights in him and does all his will in loving kindness and truth. Now, 
The devil didn't want Jesus thinking about his ways. He wanted him to do something without thinking, right? Don't think, just do it. But Jesus had already thought about it. And so, having thought in advance about it, it was settled with Jesus. So Jesus didn't act on impulse. He acted deliberately. So you notice the devil stops for now. He finished every temptation. For 40 days, it's been nothing but don't think, just do it. And Jesus hasn't so much said no to the devil. He says yes to the Father. Yes, 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 yes. You want me to starve to death? Amen. You want me to obey to the death? Amen and amen. But see, the devil's not finished. Now he's looking for an even better opportunity. This is in the wilderness. Nobody's around. No other provocation. But the crowds are coming. Jesus might relax his guard. He might be more susceptible under duress. He might not be thinking. He might be weak, hungry, tired, stressed, frustrated. All it takes is a simple, do it. Don't think. And that's it. The battle is lost. Jesus serves himself, ignores the Father, somehow seeks to serve himself. That would be the end right there. So think about this. The whole rest of the Gospel of Luke is going to be all of these attacks on Jesus for the next three and a half years. And this conflict is to the death. It's not nice, clean fighting. It's dirty. It's unrelenting. It's the rest of Jesus' life. And the glorious thing is that Jesus is going to win. Even now, we know this. Because Jesus has the Father's zeal to crush the devil. You see, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. That's what it says in Mark. Drove him. I think it's Mark. It's one of the other Gospels. It's not here. But, you know, lead is one thing. Come on, keep coming. But drive is another. Get out there. Isn't that kind of with power? Go out there for the express purpose of being tempted by the devil. You know what the message here is? Go out there and defy the devil. Defy means to confront with assured power of resistance. And Jesus absolutely resisted the devil in every way for 40 days to the very brink of death. And that is the zeal of the Father. I defy you. Do your worst. Our salvation depends on the zeal of the Lord. This is Isaiah 9. We read this at Christmas time. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That zeal which is more overwhelming than anger and fierceness, is going to establish this kingdom. Remember how Jesus made a whip out of cords and drove out 
those moneylenders, those changers, the selling the sacrifices, get out of here. My father's house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. That's when his disciples remember, zeal for your house will consume me. Think about that wrath and fierceness in that zeal of Jesus. Nobody would face him. Overwhelming. And see, do you have that kind of zeal? In comparison with him, I have no zeal for God whatsoever. I mean, we're all sitting here thinking that, right? If it's up to me to get myself to heaven, I need that kind of zeal. And I don't have it. Now see, this is the whole point of our salvation. We don't have it. We cannot save ourselves. But he has that kind of zeal to even go to the cross and die to save us, to pay the price for our sins so that we get to go to heaven. And I know that we, most of us here, have received Jesus. You know, that that's the zeal that's going to save us right now. Because as soon as you become a Christian, you start this fight. And you feel these prods. Just do it. Don't think. And then you do it. And then you think, why did I do that? And you realize what a massive impulses you live by. And you get sucker punched all the time. And you fall for this and you fall for that. And you think, no, that's, that's wrong. I don't want to do that. I want to do this. But I don't know what happened. And you know, every single time, it's just do it. Don't think. It's in the advertising. It's the strap line. Just do it. But it's everywhere. Don't think, just do it. And you think, how in the world am I going to make it? Well, Jesus has the zeal. That's the good thing. So he's not going to let up on you. That's the other good thing. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead you to begin thinking about the Word of God. And the reason why this is important is because you begin to think about every area of your life in relation to God, in relation to what he wants. And as you think about his word, you move it from your head, which is of no value whatsoever. And you move it to your heart, where it has all value. And if you don't move it from your head to your heart, the devil's going to walk up to you. And he's going to say, come on, put the Lord to the test. And you're going to say, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then he's going to say, ah, oh, come on, you don't believe that. And you'll say, you're right, I don't. And then you put the Lord your God to the test. See, people tell you, well, you just face the devil with the appropriate scripture, and he will turn and run. And you've tried that, and you know it doesn't work. You go, but I want to obey God. So, in the name of God, flee. And he goes, I'm not going anywhere. I want you to do what I want. You see things my way anyway. Just do it. Don't think. And you go, you're right. And you think, when does my salvation kick in? How come it worked with Jesus? It looked so simple. Oh. But you know what Jesus spent as much time as he knew how to? He spent thinking about this. See, the scripture says, remember, think. He says, talk about this all the time. Tie it on your forehead. Tie it on your hand. Saturate yourself with this. 
This is what you're to think about. Jesus did that. He thought about it beforehand. So much that when the devil comes up to him and says, you want to do something stupid? Jesus says, no. Yeah, but it's, it's stupid. Well, no thank you. Yeah, but it's like really stupid. Nope. Because that's what it sounded like to him. Hey, wouldn't it be fun to blow up your relationship with God? No. Well, why don't you take care of yourself and don't depend on him to do that? Why would I do that? I mean, when you know this stuff in your heart, that's the difference. Your heart is where you believe. Your heart is where you doubt. Your heart is where you fear. But if you take the word of God and put it in your heart, it will change what you hold to be true. And you will not let go of the truth. So, if you struggle with impulses and you give way to those impulses, here's what you do. You start thinking about Scripture. And you don't worry about how long it's going to take. And you don't think, oh, this isn't working. Just do it. But think. That's the new strap line. Think. Just do it. Because here's what's going to happen. It's not a quick fix. All of us want to get fixed right now. Why can't I get fixed right now? Because God doesn't work that way. Any more than you take a tree seed and drop it into the earth and then step back quickly so that the tree doesn't hit you in the jaw as it grows. Well, it doesn't do that. No, trees take a while. But once that tree gets rooted and grounded and it grows up, you can't move it. It is rooted and it is immovable and it takes over. And see, that's what God wants to do in your life. So here's what you do. You see if you can meditate on the Word of God for five minutes a day. That's where you start. Because the devil will do everything he can to discourage you and to distract you. Because he knows that this is where it starts. So find a place that you want to meditate. Maybe something that directly addresses your need. Like you're scared. You face the future and you're scared. So you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you just think about that. Now, again, this is not a quick fix, but it will change your life. And if you can get through four days of thinking about Scripture for five minutes, you're going to develop a habit that you will continue to do. And you'll find yourself able to go for longer. And you know God is going to help you do this. Does anybody here overthink things? Okay. What would happen if you took Psalm 23 and really overthought it? Use that same massive ability to look at your questions from every possible angle and mess yourself up, paralyze yourself so you can't make a decision? What if you took all of that immense brain power and focused it on, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. 
He restores my soul. He makes me walk in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I dare you to overthink that. Because you can't. And it doesn't have to be Psalm 23, but if you find something that is absolutely pertinent to your life and it seems to you to be in another galaxy long, long ago and far away, start thinking about it and watch the Lord bring it right to your heart. Think about his things, and he will lead you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus is absolutely perfect. Thank you that his love for you is so great that he would die rather than blow up his relationship with you. And we, we see this morning that only that saves us. And we're so glad for that. And we thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit so that Jesus can also give us his zeal. And we confess this morning, I, I'm confessing, I don't have that kind of zeal. Not in me. But you have that. And this morning, Lord, we want to pray for your will to be done in us as it is in heaven. Make us people after your own heart. Thank you, Lord, for defeating the devil at the cross once and for all. Thank you for that. Thank you for leading us in your victory in Christ. And we ask you to bless our relationship with you. Help us to think and remember and know you. Thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.